Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Holly Bertone about autoimmune disease and workplace accommodations to protect the health of vulnerable employees. Bertone, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you so much, John, for, for having me on, and I look forward to connecting with everyone. Yeah, it's uh, an awesome opportunity to have the chance to talk with you uh, about issues around autoimmune disease um, advocacy and accommodations in the workplace and finding ways to protect the health of vulnerable employees. Uh, this is a particularly uh, relevant and very important topic, really at any time, but particularly right now, given the, the current health crisis that we're in. And so I really look forward to the insights you're going to be able to share um, with me throughout the discussion, but also with all the listeners. As yeah, we- and, and thank you again. And I know, you know, my, my interview is probably a, a lot different than uh, the majority of the ones on your podcast. I, I appreciate the chance to uh, to share this advocacy. And like you said, this this is a very critical time uh, for, for this uh, population of vulnerable individuals. Yes, yes, it is. Absolutely. As we get started, I want to share Holly's bio with the listeners. Holly Bertone is the number one Amazon.com bestselling author of the book Thriving in the Workplace with Autoimmune Disease, Know Your Rights, Resolve Conflict, and Reduce Stress. The first book ever to educate others on autoimmune disease as a legal disability in the United States workplace. She is a highly sought-after speaker and well uh, and wellness expert and the leading authority on autoimmune disease in the workplace. Holly spent the first 10 years of her career in human resources, primarily as a recruiter. After working for the prestigious consulting firm Booz Allen Hamilton, she was invited into federal government service as the chief of staff for one of our nation's top national security offices. From there, she spent 15 years in project management. She is currently the president and CEO of Pink Fortitude LLC and founder of Fortitude Academy and the health and wellness website, pinkfortitude.com. As a breast cancer and Hashimoto survivor, she turned these two significant health challenges into a passion to help transform lives for women with chronic illness. Holly is a project management professional, holds a master's degree from John Hopkins University, and is a certified national, certified natural health professional. In her free time, she loves to garden, and hit flea markets and yard sales. Holly is married to a retired Green Beret, is a stepmother, and lives in Alexandria, Virginia. So again, a really interesting background. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And I have to say, I love Alexandria. It's such a beautiful city. Um, I've been there several times uh, as recently as last May, and uh, I always love going to Alexandria. 
And I also share your affinity for flea markets and yard sales. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually glad the uh, antique stores are around here are kind of back opening up a little bit. So, yeah. Well, good, good. Anything else you want to uh, share about yourself by way of background and context as we get started in the discussion today? Oh, sure. So I can just give a, a brief background um, with my story. It's one of those where all the world's kind of collided to, uh, to, to arrive to this place. I had uh, in my career 10 years of human resources background and 15 years in project management, and now currently undergoing my 10th year with a uh, chronic illness. I'm actually a breast cancer survivor and Hashimoto survivor. And um, what, how this all kind of happened was back in 2017, I was working at my federal agency. Everything was completely fine. We had a new management team come in at the same time where I had not just a bad flare up, but the fatigue was debilitating. And I was just, I was in, my health was in crisis mode. My doctors wanted me to come in for IV treatments. And I mean, I was about a step away from a long-term stay in the hospital. So it was, it was pretty severe. And up until that point, you know, my health had been up and down, but manageable. The symptoms have been manageable. You know, my management team had been, you know, very flexible with my hours and everything like that. And I was able to succeed and, and make it happen. But this new management team wanted nothing to do with me being sick. And um, they illegally rescinded my already approved FMLA and uh, blocked any way to transfer. So basically, I think they were just trying to, to clear house, but I was, I was the first one that was, that was targeted, um, you know, I think partly because I was the weakest, weakest link um, in the office with, with being so sick. So, um, you know, it was a really tough decision when you, when you live outside of a metropolitan area and you're making six figures and, you know, you're, you're faced with losing half of your family's income overnight. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough place to, it's a tough situation, but my health was, was paramount and prim, pri, priority to, you know, to, to literally survive at that point. So, um, so we did, made the big decision to resign and, you know, I, I had pink fortitude just kind of as a, a lifestyle a hobby blog, but it really gave me the opportunity to, to advocate for others because when I researched, there was nothing out there for individuals with an autoimmune disease facing workplace discrimination. Um, there's, there is no kind of education out there. Um, you know, there's a lot on EEOC, there's a lot on autoimmune disease, but nothing that marries the two together. So for the last um, three years now, I've spent just really focused on building the advocacy and working with employees and individuals with autoimmune disease and, you know, so that they know their rights in the workplace, but then uh, decided to grow beyond that and work with employers. Um, because when you, when you work with one person at a time, it's great and it helps that individual. But when you work on the corporate side to, to be able to change corporate culture, um, you know, for this community of individuals has, has just been an absolute blessing out of, you know, out of the crisis. Yeah. Well, thank you for that background and for, for your openness and vulnerability and sharing your own struggles. I, I think that provides really good context for why you do what you do and why it's so important uh, and, and why we're really having this discussion today. Uh, so maybe you can help the listeners understand as we, as we jump on into the discussion, um, 
the particulars of, of autoimmune disease being covered under Americans with Disabilities, um, how it's a, uh, how it's a protected um, legal disability, and some of those basic kind of terminology issues and, and, and what employers should be like generally aware of. Oh, sure. So I, I can go through some, some facts. There's an estimated 54 million Americans that suffer from autoimmune disease, which is approximately 17% of the population. In the UK, it's a little bit smaller. It's about 6%, and in Canada, about 5%. So a little bit smaller, but um, you know, s- still a significant growing population. What's interesting is that um, in the United States, and this is um, the, the statistics I'm going to give are pre-COVID numbers in terms of employment. There were approximately 15, and that's one five million Americans working a full-time job with an autoimmune disease. And that is the equivalent of New York, LA, and Chicago, the populations of those three cities. So it's pretty significant um, you know, when, you, when you look at the population. And autoimmune disease, in a, in a nutshell, your, your immune system, which is supposed to protect you and to you know, fight off the, the, the bad guys and the, and the bad germs from making you sick, right? An autoimmune disease actually attacks your own cells. And um, so it's kind of a reverse. So instead of protecting you, it attacks you. Um, It affects uh, two times more uh, people than cancer. And interestingly occurs in 75 to 80% in women compared to men. And the onset is usually in their 30s to 40s, which are not just, you know, their, their childbearing years, their years that women are growing in their careers. So you know, a lot of times what happens is that, you know, we'll go to the doctor and say, I'm not feeling well, I'm feeling off, whatever. And a lot of the symptoms mirror many other symptoms. And, and it's often extremely difficult to get diagnosed. Um, so many individuals get dismissed just because of that. Um, but some of, the, some of the, the diseases that you might be familiar with, um, for example, I have Hashimoto's, there's also Graves, fibromyalgia, lupus, multiple sclerosis psoriatic arthritis, uh, Crohn's disease, type 1 diabetes. So there's quite a few that you're probably familiar with, even if you aren't familiar with with the term autoimmune disease. And the symptoms can vary from disease to disease and person to person. The two major symptoms are fatigue and pain, typically joint pain. And again, everyone's different. Every disease is different. But those are the two primarily ones. And When I say fatigue and pain, it's not like, oh, I just didn't get a good night's sleep and I need to drink more coffee, or I just worked out and I'm a little bit sore. When I say fatigue and pain, it's typically debilitating fatigue and pain. And the example that I like to give, because I think everyone can relate to, is remember back in your college days and you were, you know, up all night, you know, pulling an all-nighter for an exam or maybe up all night partying and you wake up the next day right? And, and you're just like, oh, I feel like a train hit me. This is what it feels like pretty much every single day, only with a full night's sleep. So, you know, that's kind of the difference between, oh, I just feel a little tired or I'm a little, you know, in, in a little bit of pain. Oftentimes, uh, migraines come along with this and, and frequent migraines, brain fog, memory issues, cognition issues, and even digestive issues and skin issues. And stress is probably the number one 
cause of flare-ups because um, you know stress exasperates that immune response. And, um, you know, and especially when we're talking about a work environment, many work environments are, are very stressful. So we, we have those, you know, it's, it's that symbiotic relationship between, you know, working with an autoimmune disease, keeping your stress, um, you know, manageable and, you know, and, and fighting those symptoms. Excellent background, um, and I, I learned a few things um, just then, so hopefully this was uh, informative to the listeners as well. So given the range of the types of different symptoms that can manifest with these with the autoimmune disease um, spectrum, what, what do employers need to do legally to uh, accommodate employees who have autoimmune um, disease and even beyond the legal requirements, what should they do? Oh, sure. So um, autoimmune individuals with autoimmune disease are protected under the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, that was amended in 2008 and went into um, effect in 2009 because it covers major bodily functions, which include the endocrine and the immune system. So if you meet the conditions under the law, you are legally protected under the ADA. And, um, you know, if we have anyone that's, you know, from uh, Canada or the UK, they have very similar laws as the ADA. Um, they're, you know, obviously a little bit different, but, but very, very similar. So, um, you know, so that is something important to remember. And most individuals with an autoimmune disease don't feel disabled, right? You're walking around, you're, you know, it's, it's, you're struggling on a daily basis, but oftentimes, you know, I, I think we look at a disability, we think of someone that's blind or in a wheelchair, something that you can see, something that's visible. So part of the education is for individuals with an autoimmune disease to know that you are legally protected under the ADA. And, um, you know, for employers as well, if the individuals don't know that they're protected, it's kind of hard for the employers to know that they need to extend those protections as, as well. And, you know, and it's also the, the double-edged sword because from HIPAA, you can't exactly ask someone those questions about, oh, hey, do you have an autoimmune disease or are you sick? But something to think about, um, you know, if you have an employee that's, you know, that, that's calling off sick or, um, you know, has trouble coming in at a certain time but can really thrive later in the day or vice versa, you know, maybe they come in really early and, and really thrive, but then, you know, get really, really tired at the end of the day. Um, you know, things like that, um, additional stress that causes flare-ups. So these are things to be on the lookout. And I always tell employers, I said, you know, obviously you can't ask specific questions about someone's condition until it's, uh, you know, legally documented in, in the workplace. But you can ask, hey, is everything okay? Is there anything going on? How can we best support you? And those open-ended questions can help to, you know, really start those conversations with, with the employees. And, you know, and especially now, do you want to get into to some of the accommodations and, you know, things with kind of the current environment? Well, well yeah, let's, and, and let's do that in just a moment. So, oh, okay, sure. So I wanted to uh, just respond to what you just said, because I think that's so important. 
um, that employers create an environment where employees feel safe to share and to, to um, self-declare and divulge that information because um, ultimately it's up to the employees to share that. And it's hard for employers to provide the accommodations if they don't know about it. You can look, exactly. you can look out for the warning signs and you can look out, you know, for the types of issues you were just describing um, to have the conversations. But if you, if you have a culture where people recognize that my employer, you know, values the health and wellness of, of the employees, that they uh, want us to be our best selves, that, you know, that they're going to, to protect vulnerable employees, health and such. If that culture is present, then they're going to be much more likely to, um, to self-report, to, to um, share uh, the types of health challenges that they have. And that only helps uh, employers to be more accommodating because then they have the information they need to, to be able to respond. Right. And oftentimes you'll see, you know, either someone that's, you know, okay, a star employee or someone with a really stellar uh, history of working hard, getting good reviews, you know, always on time. And then, you know, something happens, right? So they just, they start calling in sick more often. They're not coming in on time. Their performance drops. They're not as, uh, you know, with the cognition issues, maybe they're not as sharp. Um, you know, obviously it could be a million other things going on in their personal life, but these are some of the warning signs to, to look out in general that, you know, Hey, something might be going on and it might be health related. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so much of what you're describing really relates, it's, it's, it's a bit of a tangent, so I don't want to go down this path specifically, but I've done a lot of work over the last four years um, with autism in the workplace accommodations. And much of what you're describing is almost exactly the same experience I've had um, in uh, employees that are on the spectrum, um, navigating the workplace and employers providing uh, accommodations. And uh, autism is also protected under ADA. And so many employers really have no idea how to do that effectively, how to provide accommodations. And so many um, employees that do fall on the spectrum uh, never share that information. And so it's, it's like this catch 22, like you, you're expected as an employer to, to accommodate. And if you discriminate based on that factor, you can be held liable. Um, not to mention just, you know, looking out for your employees and, and, and uh, treating them well. And so, I mean, really, I think there's this whole range autoimmune, you know, like we're talking about today, autism, and really a bunch of other, um, health conditions and, um, different characteristics that are protected under ADA that I think a lot of people don't often think about because they think about the ramps and the wheelchairs and they think about those sorts of accessibility issues, but they often don't think about some of these other, um, other issues that are less visible. Right. Right. And especially like you said, with, you know, invisible, invisible illnesses and invisible disabilities, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to see you walk around and look, completely fine. I mean, that's, I hate to say the worst compliment that I get is when someone says, well, you look okay. You look fine. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's move into accommodations then. What, what should employers try to do as they um, try to protect the health of vulnerable employees? Oh, sure. So, you know, I, and, you know, as we were talking before the, you know, six months ago, this was a very different conversation, but nowadays, um, you know, even if autoimmune disease isn't a word that you're familiar with, we often have been hearing immunocompromised or immune compromised as part of our daily lexicon 
you know, with, with the current pandemic situation. And a lot of employers have shifted to individuals working from home. So that's always the first line of a reasonable accommodation in terms of being able to have flexible hours or to work from home. And, you know, if, if you're ramping back up in terms of bringing people back in the office, um, you know, those who have an autoimmune disease or immune compromise should, should be among the, the last to come back. Um, or even have an extended period where they can work from home. Um, so, you know, that's always the number one that I recommend. But um, even as they're coming back to work, or if your workforce is already, you know, fully, you know, back in into your workplace, things that you can think about um, are a flexible leave schedule, especially if you're in a metropolitan area, so that the individual isn't commuting during peak hours, uh, if they're on public transportation, Reducing physical exercise, if there's a chance, if they have to stand to provide a seat or to provide um, different um, like chairs or a standing workstation where they can stand or sit and adjust as needed as they're having flare-ups throughout the day. Um, things like uh, the, the screen guards, the, uh, the glare guards on the computer screens help, especially with, with migraines. Um, heat and cooling are often um, kind of unusual side effects, but they do exist. So to be able to have a personal heater or cooler nearby, um, a private place, if there is none, if they don't have an office, a private place to make phone calls to doctors. Oftentimes individuals with a chronic illness have quite a few doctor's appointments and to, you know, to schedule the appointments, um, you know, to be able to maybe take their lunch break and have a telehealth appointment um, you know, things like that. And then um, even for, you know, for example, uh, individuals with celiac disease um, to be able to have their own, you know, if you have an allergen table in the cafeteria or to um, provide their own refrigerator so that they don't have the cross-contamination that um, with other people's food that will get them sick because even, you know, breadcrumbs with, with gluten, with celiac disease will make someone very sick. So these are just some, I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch out there. These are some to think about as, you know, and, and have those open conversations with individuals, you know, once they are documented in terms of, you know, how can I best accommodate you so that, you know, you're productive and, and safe. Yeah. And I guess one of the questions people might have is why, I mean, why do we really even need to be concerned about this? I mean, there's America's Disabilities Act that's, that protects employees, but if, if um, autoimmune is something that a lot of people never self-report, um, you know, I, I can see the, the thought process going through, you know, executives' minds in the workplace. And I could see many of them thinking, well, if they don't report, like, I don't know what you expect us to do. And in fact, it's probably better and easier if we just don't even know about it because then we don't have to do accommodations. And if they can't perform the job, then then we'll just get someone else. So I think that's a mindset that a lot of people would have. I've, I've certainly seen evidence of that in the past. Um, so beyond the, uh, the strict legal aspects of ADA, any thoughts on how you could convince um, leaders within organizations to really take this and, and protecting the vulnerable employees seriously? Oh, sure. And, you know, I think part of it is just realizing that 
a legal disability is a legal disability. And it doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair or if you're blind or if you're deaf or, or if you have an autoimmune disease, if you have autism, you know, all disabilities fall under those legal guidelines. So they all should be taking, taken as, as, as serious as the other. The other thing too is just the, from the humanity perspective, it's just, it's the right thing to do. But oftentimes these these reasonable accommodations for individuals with autoimmune disease don't cost any money or, or, you know, a few dollars at the most. So in terms of reasonable accommodations, you have an employee that, um, you know, let's go back to CELAC, you know, they're, they're scared to death of be of cross-contamination because it will make them very, very sick, not anaphylactic like a peanut allergy, but very sick. So just having a, you know, a dedicated space or having their own refrigerator allowing them to eat at their desk, things like that help to eliminate that fear. And, you know, and especially under the situation now, being able to have those flexible hours, you know, if the individuals are at work, you know, to reduce that time on public transportation, or even if you have a workforce that's working from home and they have to come in to be able to give them a parking space, which alleviates that stress and that worry and that concern and it, it does, it helps to increase productivity. I mean, a, a happy employee, a protected employee, you know, is, is typically going to be a lot more productive when they're not worried about their own safety. Exactly. So I, I think you're hitting on all the key points here that I really was hoping to tease out. One, there's a legal requirement, right? Um, that we, we really should do our very best to be proactive about um, uh, complying with. But two, there's a, a moral ethical um, requirement um, that the that we see people within our organizations as human beings, and our job is to help them be their best selves, and which then leads to the third issue, which is the business case. Why is it good business for organizations to provide these accommodations when you treat people with dignity and respect, and you and you protect their health, and you you provide the accommodations that allow them to ease their fears and anxieties and to be more healthy, then they will be more productive. Uh, they, they, there will be less absenteeism. There will be um, uh, better collaborations that happen in the workplace, and that's good for the bottom line. So really across all three areas, the business case, the moral ethical um, requirement, and the legal compliance, uh, it all points to we need to be doing better at providing safe work environments for vulnerable employees. And I'll also just note that in all of the accommodations that you mentioned, um, you didn't go into kind of the traditional list that we've been hearing during the time of COVID, uh, you know, which obviously those things are important too. If people are immunocompromised, you know, we, we wear face masks and we wash our hands and we clean surfaces and we uh, social distance and all that kind of stuff. That's also important. And those are very simple accommodations to provide, simple um, tasks to perform to, to keep uh, employees healthy and safe. And, and like you mentioned, so many of these other accommodations really are pretty simple, pretty straightforward, and don't cost a lot of money, but really can not only help the health and the well-being of our employees, but it will help the, the bottom line of the company as well. And, and the other thing too is, is sick leave. And again, if you, know, if you have some type of autoimmune disease, chronic illness, your sick leave is typically going to be a little bit more than the average employee. So for example, um, you know, let's say you have an employee with lupus 
and they're, they're having a flare up. Well, maybe they can work for three or four hours at home in bed on a laptop and be productive versus take an entire sick day and not coming in. So, you know, and it, and if you take those hours over time, it really adds up. So, you know, it's also being able to, you know, not just from the productive standpoint, but also have your employees working more hours just because of these accommodations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Holly, it has been a real pleasure talking with you today uh, and really uh, picking your brain uh, about what organizations can do to help vulnerable employees. Um, we're about out of time. Before we close, though, I want to give you a chance to share a little bit more with the listeners about how they can get in contact with you, find more uh, about you and your business, and, and get connected if they need some assistance. Oh, sure. Thank you. So I actually have uh, several free webinars at fortitude.academy and also some training courses, both for employers and employees. If you want to take a, a deeper dive, so that's fortitude.academy. And then of course, um, lots of great information on, uh, on my website at pinkfortitude.com. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking and I really hope listeners will look into this issue a little bit more, reach out to Holly, get connected. And if you feel like you need more expertise to help your organization um, be a safer workplace and provide better accommodations, please reach out to Holly. Um, thank you. I hope everyone stays healthy and safe and that you find meaning and purpose at work. And I hope you all have a good week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.